offer you an I offer you another story about veterans. Um, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a veterans advocate, um, and I'm also a disabled veteran. So I wrote this a little bit ago. It's entitled "The Quiet One." It's about a short fictional story and what can happen if you pick on the wrong person. The older man tended to be a quiet person for the most part, especially in public. He had been around the world in his younger days and seen a lot of really bad things. He had killed people, witnessed a lot of death and destruction during his long career in the military, and never talked much about his experiences. He had been to the VA therapist through the years and finally found a caring wife later in life, so was as content as he possibly could be, despite the nightmares that still plagued his sleep every night and the social anxiety experience whenever he went out in public. All he wanted now was a quiet life with few complications. He had been put through the ringer when he was told to get help for his PTSD symptoms years ago. Symptoms, symptoms that made him lash out at anyone for the slightest things, hurt people over the slightest provocation, and was just a miserable person to be around back then. Joe had grown up in a bad environment to start with, and the military just allowed him to focus his anger towards enemy soldiers during all his years in the Army. He became a pretty good soldier by focusing his anger on the enemy and keeping a lid on his anger when he was not on deployments, which he volunteered for whenever possible. After retiring from active duty, he found out the hard way the military discipline was the only thing helping keeping him from those angry doors locked up. Without it, the door locks kept breaking and the monsters would get loose. The VA counselors helped him put the monsters away without the military structure, but it took years of counseling to get there. Then it was a constant check-in all the time, like roll call, only not as often. As Joe got older and into his 60s, he realized that he didn't quite move as fast as he used to, so he, used to, he took to wearing his military-style pistol and a hideaway shoulder holster whenever he went out, because he never stopped looking for enemy combatants. They were everywhere, or at least he thought so. His wife was an Asian immigrant and very reserved in public. She maintained her youthful beauty besides being just a little younger than Joe. She was also a devoted Christian, but was not real comfortable around most Americans, as she said they tend to be loud and rude most of the time. Joe wasn't comfortable being around people, period, and definitely not religious in any way. So they got along great and loved each other very much. They made a pact to always take care of one another no matter what. Joe, being the old soldier that he was, took it to heart. When he married her, he vowed he would protect her with his life if needed. As they settled into their quiet life together, Joe still kept his head on a swivel whenever he went out of his house, always on the lookout for the slightest threat. His wife learned to accept his nervousness and did her best to calm him down when he would get over-anxious about something or someone. She also learned to accept the fact that he would always have to have his weapon near him, but she maintained he had to keep it out of sight to avoid scaring people. She also, agreed, she also made him agree that if they went to their church events, he would have to take it off or leave it home. He agreed to leave it in the car when they went to their church for something, but still felt uncomfortable. As life went on, things were pretty good. Joe went to work during the day and made enough money so that she didn't have to work unless she wanted to. He always worried about her when he thought she might have to interact with Americans because he knew how racist and dangerous they could be. Joe had witnessed just how bad Americans treat each other and foreigners during his military career and knew that an incident involving his wife was always just lurking around the proverbial corner. He figured that as long as they kept their interactions with Americans to a bare minimum, they might make it through their days without incident, 
or so he hoped. Either way, Joe was prepared mentally and physically to handle anyone who might get stupid around him and his beautiful wife. Joe read the news every day about racist people rioting or spouting off about their narrow view on life. Somebody, either white, black, or brown, would get mad and hurt somebody of the other colored skin. The white people did it out of cruelty and a sense of moral superiority. The black people did it because they were lashing out at their cruel mistreatment, and the Latinos would be in the news for defending themselves against everyone else. Joe identified as white, according to the census takers, but didn't consider himself in any kind of racist demographic. All he wanted to do was live his quiet life with his loving wife and let the world move on around him. Just let them do their shopping now and again without any fuss and life would be good. Then it happened. The day he had been dreading ever since he met his wife and accepted the fact that certain Americans would not like it if they were together. On what should have been just another normal day, Joe dressed in his usual blue jeans, t-shirt, and one of his many vests to hide the shoulder halter went with his wife grocery shopping to the same store that he always went to. He had his black retired military ball cap on and the usual mean look in his eye, but that was his normal look for anyone who knew him. They were standing at the deli counter waiting to complete their order when Joe heard some whispering from a younger couple behind him. He already knew what they looked like as he always observed everyone around him to read people and scan for threats. He remembered them from when they arrived at the deli area wearing their worn-looking clothes. The young man with his ball cap on backwards, faded blue jeans, t-shirt with some faded writing, faded writing on it, and sneakers. She was always wear- she was wearing somewhat the same thing without the ball cap, her dirty blonde hair floating around her shoulders. Since they were whispering, he didn't pay much attention to the conversation. Then he heard them giggling, and the young man said, Hey, old man, what are you doing with that slant eye? Is she available? The young lady started to laugh until Joe turned around to see if they were talking to him. When they saw the look in Joe's eyes as he turned to face them, they stopped laughing and the woman stared at her with her mouth open, stared at him with her mouth open for a half a minute, then gulped and looked down. The young man also hesitated for a moment, then he got a mean glimmer in his eye. He asked Joe what he thought he was looking at, and Joe just stood there looking at him. The young man took a nervous half step back and stood a little taller to glare at Joe defiantly. Joe then asked the man in his low, gravelly voice if he was talking about himself and his wife who by this time Joe had moved behind him for protection. The other people standing around the deli started backing off, and the deli staff looked on wondering what was going to happen next. When the young man saw all of this, he decided he didn't want to be seen backing down from this mean old man and figured he would take his chances to bluff his way through to save face. The young man looked at Joe and said, Yeah, I said that. White men should only be with white women. Everyone knows the chinks are easy and easy to do as they're, and always do as they're told. They should only be with their kind and not in a white neighborhood like this one. Young, while the young man was spotting off his white supremacy bullshit, Joe took a good look at his faded t-shirt. It read something about a white supremacy rally he had apparently attempted some while back. Joe turned his head to the side and quietly told his wife to step away from him towards the deli counter as it was going to get a little rough now. She stepped back towards the display case and the relative safety of the staff and customers. As she stepped back, Job looked back at the young man as he finished his little speech and said, Are you done yet, stupid? With that, the young man got an angry look on his face, turned red, and tensed up as if to take a swing. Joe looked him in the eye, quick, quickly reached under his vest, pulled out his Colt 1911, and pistol-whipped the young man before he could take a swing, all without saying a word. While the young man was getting ready to come off the floor, Joe put the muzzle on the back of his neck and quietly said, 
Don't even try. You need to apologize to me and my wife for what you said in front of all these nice people. If you don't, I will put a hole in the back of your head and your brains will make a mess out of your girlfriend's shoes. Meanwhile, all the, all the people and staff watching this started gasping and moving away from the area. One of the deli staff yelled out that he had called a manager and they were calling the police. Joe stood there with his gun to the man's head and as his girlfriend tried to move away, Jolder told her to stay put. She was guilt just as guilty as he was. She stopped moving, put her hands up with eyes wide and a scared look on her face. The young man, hurting and bleeding from the pistol whipping, started to move, but Joe just put more pressure on him with a gun. The young man started stammering, saying he was sorry. He didn't realize who he was making fun of, and it was just harmless fun. Why did he have to take it so seriously? Now he had to go to the hospital to get stitches, and he would have Joe arrested for assault. Joe just continued to stand there with his pistol at the young man's neck, not saying a word. He knew that it was only a matter of time before the police would arrive and knew he was probably in trouble again like the bad old days before therapy. Sure enough, within a couple of minutes, police arrived with guns out, pointed at Joe, telling him to drop the weapon. Joe said, sure, as soon as this asshole apologizes to me and my wife for what he said about us in public. Joe stood up and removed the gun barrel from the back of the kid's neck, but put his boot in the bell of his back to hold him down. He held his pistol up away from anyone and waited. He was more worried about one of the cops would just shoot him out of fear. At this point, the young man started to get confident the police would rescue him from this crazy old man, and he could spin a story to his buddies about how he had stood up to the crazy man with a pistol, only after he coerced his girlfriend to back him up, he thought to himself. One of the cops eased off once he saw Joe point his gun away from everybody to try and defuse the situation before someone got hurt evermore. He asked Joe what happened and the young man tried to interject when the policeman told him to shut up. He would get his chance to tell his side of things. The police had already interviewed the bystanders and staff when they arrived, so they already knew pretty much what happened. The young man apparently hadn't thought about all that. He started sweating a little at this point. Joe calmly told the officers what happened, why he assaulted the young man and was still holding him at gunpoint. His story corroborated what the other witnesses had said. The lead officer told Joe that if he put his gun down, they would take the young man into custody and try to clear things up. Joe would likely lose his pistol to the police over the incident unless he could prove he had a concealed carry permit. Joe told the officer that he still wanted an apology before they took the young man away. Cop asked the young man if he wanted to apologize to Joe. He was going to be booked anyway for felony harassment and attempted assault. The young man tried to look up at Joe, but with Joe, Joe's boot holding him down, he couldn't manage very well. He stammered out an apology for his racist remarks and promised not to do it again. Joe relented and stepped away from the young man to let the police handcuff him. While they were doing that, the lead officer asked Joe if he had a concealed permit to carry that gun. Joe asked if he could reach into his wallet and show it to him. The officer then asked Joe if he could hold his gun while he looked. Joe said sure, then proceeded to drop the magazine out and eject the one lone cartridge in the chamber before relinquishing the gun. As the officer looked on, Joe grabbed his wallet from his back pocket and showed him the permit, all legal. The officer made some notes and gave the permit and gun back and asked Joe to keep it unloaded till he was clear of the store. Joe agreed, stepped back out of the way to look for his wife. She was still standing by the deli display with another white woman who had her arms around her. When Joe walked, started to walk towards them with that death look in his eyes, the woman backed away with a wide-eyed look. Joe's wife stepped up to him, and Joe wrapped her up in an embrace and said, I got you. It's okay now. 
She stepped into him as he wrapped his arms around her, and they turned around to watch the young man be led away by the police. The young woman that had been a party to all of this was being interviewed by a policeman and looked very scared. Joe waited for the police to wrap things up and was asked to be available for more questions later. They thought that the young man might try something after he got out of jail. Joe said, no worries. I've killed people more vicious than him. He's just another wannabe trying to get people to pay attention to him. If him and his friends try something later, he would defend himself as it was his right to do so. The officer just looked at Joe and decided that God help anyone who tries to take on this old veteran. They would likely die if they tried. This old man has already been through hell and back by the look in his eyes, so nothing else will hurt him other than the threat to his wife. He could care less about himself. Joe was told he could go home now and they would be in touch. He was advised that there might be charges for assault and battery and threatening him with a weapon, depending on the DA. As they left the store, Joe's wife waited until they got back into their car before she let go in the privacy of the car. As she started to shake and cry, Joe did his best to comfort her and told her that she was safe now. He then drove her home. A few days afterwards, she had recovered enough to ask him in her quiet voice if he would have really shot that young man in the store that day. Joe replied, yes. I would have if I felt the need to defend you from harm. If I had been by myself, I wouldn't have shot him if he threatened me, but I would have beaten him to an inch of his life if he had swung at me. Joe explained that he already knew by looking at the young man that he was a braggart and a coward, so once Joe hit him and put him down, he likely wouldn't fight anymore. He also apologized profusely for the bad behavior of these stupid Americans and that they would be buying their groceries somewhere else from now on. Maybe just at the Asian stores that she would frequent when buying groceries for their homestyle recipes. He would also apply that that would also apply for anything else going forward, as Joe was done with stupid Americans. She told him that there were worse people where she came from, and this was just another example of bad people everywhere and cannot be avoided. She then cautioned him about trying not to hurt them too badly next time, with a small smile in her eyes. Joe got the message and promised to try and exert better control over himself if something like this ever happened again. Joe told himself as he was saying those words to her that he would never hesitate to put himself between any attacker and herself. She was more than just his wife. She was his heart and soul and knew that anything ever happened to her by her hand of some idiot like that young man, he would kill them with no mercy and then himself because he knew he could not live without her. In the coming days, the cop that had talked to Joe at the store that day came by to let them know that the DA's office would not be filing charges against him as it was proven that he was just defending himself and his wife against a would-be assailant. There was no mention of the fact that Joe had struck first. The cop wished Joe a good day and thanked him for his service. Joe gave his thanks and goodbyes and shut the door. As he quietly breathed a sigh of relief and told himself he needed a call for an appointment with his vet counselor as soon as possible to try and bring him down from his anxieties. As promised, the next time they went shopping, they went to the Asian part of town from then on, and Joe felt a whole lot safer than going to any more American supermarkets. Joe eventually got to the point where he even left his pistol hidden in the car when they went. He didn't feel the slightest bit anxious about people there in that part of town, and his wife just smiled her quiet smile and didn't say a word. She knew him, can tell he was content once more. This is another one of my stories about disabled veterans and how John Q. Public rarely has any idea how we truly are inside or what we're capable of in a flash. The average American combat soldier is trained to the nth degree to be the best in the world. And you can't just flip a switch, shut all that off when they come home from active duty. 
A lot of us struggle every day to try and fit back into society that, that never had to endure what we had to in order to keep everyone safe and live their ordinary lives. Some manage to do well, but a whole lot of others battle their demons on a daily basis. Never judge a person by their looks, especially if they look like veterans.